Welcome, and thanks for stopping by. You're listening to Take the Reins, a weekly personal growth podcast for horse owners. If you're invested in becoming the best version of yourself in all your relationships, both human and equine, this is the spot for you. Through our conversations, you will learn how to become a stronger communicator, leader, and deepen the connection you crave both in and out of the arena. Horses have an awful lot to teach us, yet very little of it actually has to do with horses. They reflect back to you who you are emotionally, physically, and energetically. They are a mirror to your soul, and it is time to take an honest look at who you are and who you want to become. I can't wait to connect with you, so here we go. Hello, everyone. I cannot wait for you to hear this interview. I have been a fan of our guest since the first time I saw one of his videos about two years ago. I remember thinking at one point that he and I seemed to be on a similar personal growth journey when I heard him discussing concepts like mindfulness and presence. I am grateful to be able to bring to you an interview with the much-respected horseman, Warwick Schiller. I know we will all walk away from this conversation feeling inspired to be better people for ourselves, our horses, and our loved ones. Warwick runs Warwick Schiller Performance Horsemanship. He can be found online at warwickschiller.com, on Facebook, and Instagram. Warwick grew up on a 1,200-acre farm in Australia. He rode horses as a kid and showed quarter horses. In 1990, he went to the U.S. for a year to learn about training reining horses. He ended up meeting his now-wife Robin that year, and after six months back in Australia, he went back to the U.S. At the time, he was passionate about reining and focused on that for many years. In the past four years, he has not trained outside horses and has focused solely on doing videos and clinics. I love knowing what guides people onto their personal growth path. For Warwick, he explained that a few years ago, his online video subscription was going well. His YouTube channel was thriving, and he was doing clinics all around the world. He was basically happy on the path that he was on. Then his wife bought a horse that was quite shut down, and nothing he'd ever done before would help this particular horse. That led him to step back from what he was doing and look outside of the box at ways of working with horses that he used to think were silly. That led him to his own personal journey that has completely changed the way he looks at things. I won't keep you waiting any longer. Let's talk with Warwick Schiller. Hello, Warwick. Thank you again for joining me today. I can't wait to dive into the topic of personal growth with you. First, tell us, where in the world are you right now? I know you have a lot of traveling under your belt. And uh, where are you? I'm, I'm at home in California right now. I leave for Australia this evening, so I'm home for a little while. That's a long trip. What's, what, how many hours is it going to take you to get home? Uh, well, it's, uh, well, I'm not going home. I'm, I'm home at my you house. You are home, right yes. Now, but I'm going back <laughs> to Australia to do some clinics. Yeah. Um, the flight's 14 hours, but I've got to drive to the airport that's an hour away, then take a plane to LA, then wait for four hours and then fly for 14 hours and then drive for two. So, you know, it's a it's usually a 24-hour process to get to wherever that is I'm going. Well, I hope that you have a little bit of time to rest on the other side of all that travel between um, This clinics. one's actually a very quick trip. I'm going to be, I'm going to leave on a Monday and I get back on a Monday. So oh my I goodness. 
I arrive Wednesday and then I'm going to do a clinic Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday I'm going to get another plane and come home. Wow. That's, uh, that sounds exhausting, but rewarding, I'm sure. That's awesome. Uh, it is very rewarding and I'm lucky I can sleep on planes. So, you know, the, <laughs> you leave California at 11 o'clock at night and you get to Australia at seven o'clock in the morning and it's 14 hours. So it's just a really long night. And right. so sometimes the best, some of the best sleeps I ever have are on a plane because you go to sleep and there's no reason to get up. So you just stay asleep. Perfect. That's awesome. Okay. So let's get into the good stuff. Can you tell me what do you think is the one thing that's a universal horse problem? So a universal horse problem with people and their horses is I think you know, the horses have a lot of, you know, most, most horse problems are caused by anxiety. And I think I figured out why those horses have so much anxiety. And uh, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a talk, but, you know, I really think that horses can read your mind and read your energy and read your intention. And something that keeps horses feeling safe in the herd is the awareness of all of the other horses in the herd. It's like a co-op it's like a you know it's a group awareness and i think when we horses are around us and we're in our head thinking about our job or cooking dinner or what if he steps on my toe or any of those things it tells them that we are not present and we are not necessarily part of the herd we're not part of their security system and so they're on edge and you know i for years i've been doing things to horses to have them not be as anxious, you know, mm -hmm. training basically. Whereas these days, what, and I found it's, it works even better, is, is being in such a way around those horses that they, that they realize how present you are, which means you are a, an asset, you are part of the support system. And, you know, it, I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest key to have horses relaxing and not training them, but, but just really being able to be present around them and especially reading all the little subtle signs they give mm -hmm. when they're, um, you know, when they're concerned about something that you're doing. They're, I think horses are very good at um, communicating that they're a little bit concerned. Mm -hmm. And when we miss those things, they realize we're not very present. And I think that makes them more anxious. So I think it was the first time that I really thought about this was when I actually watched a video of yours and you spoke about a horse knows when you know and knows when you don't. And yep. so often people really think that means, oh gosh, my horse is going to know that I know nothing and I'm going right. to mess them up or they're going to know that I don't know how to deal with this situation. But really it's, they know when you're present. Um, that was, that was one of my, my favorite videos that I saw of yours. Can you just speak a little bit more on that? Do you mind? Yeah, well, that's an old Ray Hunt saying. And the saying is they know when you know and they know when you don't. And for many years, I thought that meant that just like what you said, they, they know when you know what you're doing and they know when you don't know what you're doing, which is true, mm -hmm. very true. But um, last year I was reading an article, and it was only last year, maybe the year before, um, by someone who spent a lot of time with Ray Hunt. And I thought it was Joe Walter, but I saw him recently and asked him about it and it wasn't him. So I'm not sure who it was, but they said, when you're around your horse, you need to be aware of what his ears are doing, what his eyes are doing, what his nostrils are doing, what his muzzles doing, what his back looks like. Is it tight? Is it loose? What his neck's doing? Is it up? Is it down? Is his tail clamped? Is his tail up? Is his tail loose? How are his feet placed? You know, are they in a brace position? Are they square in a relaxed position? Um, 
and you need to be aware of all those things because you know, you know, you need to know what all those things are doing because they know when you know and they know when you don't. So basically they know when you are present and aware and they know when you, when you aren't present and aware. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you for, uh, for speaking about that. Cause as soon as you, as soon as you were talking about the other stuff, I was like, yes, it just reminds me exactly. And I think it was a pretty important time in my horsemanship journey when you posted that. Um, and it was a major light bulb for myself. So I'm sure that it'll help others as well. What excites you about what you do? What excites me about what I do? You know what? I, I used to be that I could help, um, used to be that I could help people with their horses, you know, so they, so they have more of an enjoyable time with their horses and, you know, there's less frustration, they're safer, they get along better with their horses. It's, it's just a more enjoyable thing. But these days with the stuff that I'm teaching people to help them get along with their horses, which is more personal growth stuff. Mm -hmm. um, what I'm excited about is the feedback I get from people about, how their lives have kind of changed completely by working on that stuff. And so, I mean, you know, no one shows up to a clinic and say, Hey, I want you to be my therapist. And I, I'm not a trained therapist, so I, I don't even pretend to be. Um, so no one shows up saying, Hey, I'm, I want some personal growth. They all show up. They want help with their horses. But you know, what I do at the starter clinics these days is, is share a lot of stories about, my growth and how it's helped with the horses and how I, you know, a lot of times at clinics well, all the time at clinics, I used to say, I'm not talented, but I have a process. And if you can do small enough steps in the process, you can get quite a bit done with horses. You know, I would say that, you know, in the clinics, I would say, I know people who are talented. I'm not one of them, but I have this process. Well, I really starting to think that people who are talented have a certain energy about them that they carry with them mm -hmm. and that's one of the reasons they're talented because they're they're, they're quite present and d just who they are affects the horse a great deal more than just what they do and I used to think you know those talented people they don't seem to do much but boy they get a lot of stuff done I've got to do a lot of things because I've got to have this process and I've got to start here and mm -hmm. go to here sort of thing and so yeah the, the feedback I get from people about the personal growth they experience through just being trying to be present when you're around your horse um, has been pretty amazing. That's awesome. And that's exactly the road that I'm going down right now in, in teaching to allow people to understand that um, when they're with their horse, their horse is actually teaching them the thing that they need to have outside of the barn as well. Then they can also practice that outside and it changes like the horse is the reflector of the changes that they've made. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's pretty powerful for them. Given the amount that you're on the road, what's been your most exciting trip this year? <laughs> They've all been pretty amazing, but the most amazing one I had was we were invited by the wife of the British ambassador to Morocco to come to Morocco and help out. Uh, there's a government organization there called the Royal Society for the encouragement of horses and it falls under the ministry of agriculture there and so we got to go to morocco for a week and we actually lived in the british ambassador's residence and so we got to live the ambassador life you know you have a, a driver with the range rover with the with the uh, diplomatic plates so you can park anywhere go anywhere nothing's off limits sort of thing uh, you know the personal chef you have in the kitchen the whole, you know it's just, it was pretty crazy just the whole ambassador lifestyle that was pretty cool but, sounds amazing um, 
but just the experience of being in Morocco. Morocco mm. was an amazing place, and we got to—I got to work with some really amazing horses, all stallions. Every, every horse there is always uh, a stallion. We actually got to go one day to a sporting event called the Tiberida, or the other—the English word for it is Fantasia. But it's—it's it's based on an ancient warfare thing, and there's teams of—I think it's 15 horses—and so they're all in a line, and they're all dressed up in traditional, you know, Arabic clothing and stuff everybody's carrying this big gun and they canter in a line and then they canter faster in a line and then they can a flat gallop in the line and these guys stand up in the stirrups hold their gun up above their head wave it around and then shoot them all off simultaneously all at the same time and then you got to come to a halt and and it's judged on how how uniform they are how fast they can go how um synchronize the rifle shot is and how much of a straight line you're stopping at the end and this was just a demonstration it wasn't a competition but there was 1100 stallions at this one place oh wow all milling in together you know they don't have they don't have stables or anything they set up tents that the people live in overnight but the horses are all hobbled by their front feet on these big long ropes so there's they weren't hobbled when we were there um, because they're all doing stuff, but you know there was 1,100 stallions, all in traditional Arabic garb, with the people in the same thing. All everybody's carrying a gun, all in one place. Wow. The energy, yeah, the energy was amazing, and just the the visual of the whole thing it was like I was in the movie Lawrence of Arabia or something. Rather, you know, yeah. it, was, it was it was amazing. That sounds like an incredible experience. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from that? From that watching that, that yeah. Thing? Oh, there was a lot of takeaways from it. <laughs> something interesting and well so it was it was a regional you know like a regional demonstration but we mm -hmm. had a guy with us who um is one of the best guys that, that does that and he wasn't he wasn't doing it that day he hung out with us and explained all sorts of stuff with it and he said that they in those lines because you're probably thinking 1100 stadiums all in mm -hmm. one place how do they have to keep that under control yeah he said in those lines they they never change the order of those horses mm -hmm. um you know every they, they find which stallion can go next to which stallion. And, um, and so they, you know, they don't switch the, the order of the horses around when they figure out the, the order that works, you know, that was one of the, one of the many things. I yeah. Like yeah. That would be my first question as you're saying that many stallions at once. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like it could be a little bit of a, of an ordeal, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's awesome. Next question. I'm really excited to hear this one. I'm excited to know what are your plans for the future? Wow. <laughs> well, I'm in the middle of writing a book right now. Congratulations. Thank you. And I've been, it's, I've supposed to be writing this thing for a number of years now. And it's basically, oh, well, sorry. No, the one I'm writing now is not the one I've been planning for a number of years. Sorry. There was another one that I've been planning for a number of years. And it was basically life lessons that I've learned from horses. Lovely. And about three or four years ago, I was ready to write it. And then my life took a complete left turn. And so then I stopped because I, I, you know, I, I hadn't started writing the book, but I was mulling it around in my head all mm -hmm. the time. And I, and I stopped thinking about that book because, whoa, it's, it's not, it's not finished. It, like mm -hmm. part two has just started. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, um, yeah, it was, I almost had it all written in my head, basically knew what I was going to do with it. Um, and then my life took a left turn. So I, I, uh, I'm still, I'm, I'm still living the middle of part two of that one. So I don't know when that one, I'll do something with that one, but, uh, yeah, the other book that I'm, I'm writing, I'm chipping away at that. And I think when I get that one off my chest, then, then the rest of the other ones that I have planned will make it a bit easier. 
It's an interesting process because I think I've started about six books in my life. And I, when I first started writing uh, the book that I just published in, I think it came out, it was December 28th, I think was the first time I held it. Uh, it's called what? It's called The Conscious Communicator. Conscious Communicator, okay. And when I started writing it, I literally like woke up in the middle of the night, wrote out this line, and it just poured out of me. And about a year into it, I really took a step back. And I wasn't really sure if publishing it was going to be the easiest thing to do uh, because it really feels like you're laying everything out there. So you're just publishing your diary, essentially. And it took about two and a half years for me to really write it and then believe that I need to then just put it out there. So I probably could have, if I allowed myself, I could have just been like, okay, well, I'm not quite done yet. I'm not quite done yet. And I yep. forced myself, I should say, to press send on the, on the manuscript. And now this next book, I think I've had other ideas. I think I, I understand where you're saying where you're like, that one just wasn't really quite ready to, to be wrapped up. And then you have this other idea that comes along that is, um, it kind of takes over a new shape, a new form, and you kind of have to get that out before the next one even makes sense anymore. So I think that's what this one is because I started the next book and I set that aside to then now write Take the Reins, which is uh, a totally new new direction for me. So it the, it the writing process is very interesting and I, I wish you luck with it and I can't wait you know, to see, you know, what you come up with. And I know that uh, I'll probably be one of the first ones to hit order. Oh, and do you plan on doing an audio book? That's what I get all of the time. People love to hear the audio. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm planning on it being an audio. I, I really like listening to audio books mm -hmm. that are read by the author. Me too. Uh, uh, as long as the author's got a voice right. that's listenable, you know. Yes. Uh, yeah. Like, have you ever listened to Eckhart Tolle? Yes. Okay. Uh, he's really hard to listen to. He's so hard to listen to, but his humor is so dry yes. that it just he just makes me chuckle. Right. I mean, I can, I can listen to it. My wife can't listen to him, but yeah. like Brene Brown, if you've ever yes. listened to Brene Brown, I love listening. You know, one of her books is, was read by someone else and I don't, mm -hmm. I don't resonate it with as, as much as I stopped listening to it, to be mm. honest. <laughs> um, and like Russell Brand, have you ever listened to Russell Brand's recovery? I have not, but I'm going to write oh my that goodness. down. Russell Brand is a trip and uh, yeah, his book recovery, which is basically his take on the 12 step progress process. Um, fascinating book because awesome. it's a bit like Brene Brown to where he's not preaching to you. He's talking mm -hmm. about his own, his own uh, shortcomings and the, the troubles he's had, you know, it's not yeah. like you should do this and you are bad if you don't do this. He, yeah. he, um, and yeah, I just, I love that guy's voice anyway. You know, there's something about that, that Cockney accent that really like anyway. <laughs> Have you read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert? No, I haven't read I Big feel Magic like if Gilbert. you're on a writing journey right now, um, Big Magic was the book. I listened to it, oh gosh, probably when it first came out. And then right as I was ready to hit send on my manuscript, I listened to it again. It really was the thing that pushed me to say, okay, yeah, this is something that I need to do in life. Um, and it talks about the energy of ideas and I think it's something that you would really, uh, you'd really enjoy. Really? You know what? I, it sounds so familiar. I wouldn't be surprised if I had it sitting around here. I've got a, I've got a stack of books that, um, 
She was so, the author yeah. of Eat, Pray, Love. Um, okay, yes, I think yeah. I heard it. I, you mm -hmm. know what, we may have it here. Um, I would say dive into that at some point. When, you know, when you have time in between flying to Australia and clinics okay, and yeah. all Well, I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks because I listen to them on planes and, yeah. and, you know, in shuttle buses and <laughs> sitting in airports and stuff. Um, so I have got a pile of books on my desk here. I took a photo of them the other day because there's a... Um, there's a fellow I know from Australia who lives in Holland and he, and he said something about, oh, what are you reading right now? So I took a photograph of this pile of books that I've got piled up here and I'm going to run through them real quick for you. Just, just yeah, to try That would this. be amazing. The Reiki Manual, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, Game Changers by Dave Asprey, Autobiography of a Yogi, The Tapping Solution, uh, Mind to Matter by Dawson Church, Horses and the Mystical Path, uh, Mindful Horsemanship, Becoming Supernatural by Dr. Joe Dispenza, The Sense of Being Stared At by Rupert Sheldrake. That's an amazing one. Waking the Tiger by Peter Levine, uh, Becoming Animal by a fellow named David Abram and The Celestine Prophecy by James Redfield. Have you ever heard of The Celestine Prophecy? I have never, no. It's a little bit like The Alchemist, whereas it's a novel. Yes but it's teaching you something anyway. Anyway, so yeah, my, my reading list these days is pretty eclectic. That's amazing. So my last question that I was going to ask, which isn't yet, but my last question was going to be one suggestion of a book to our readers. Uh, but I would say that you have fully fulfilled that. That's amazing. Thank you so much. One suggestion of a book to our readers. I would, you know what, um, if I was going to suggest one book, I would probably suggest anything by Brene Brown. I agree. I think that's a good starting point mm -hmm. as far as making you, you know, do a bit of introspection and maybe look mm -hmm. at life a little bit differently. She was my starting point for all this. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, when I first listened to Brene Brown, I was told about her by um, Barbara Schulte. Do you know who Barbara Schulte is? I do, yeah. Yeah, amazing lady. Uh, Barbara said, have you ever heard of someone named Brene Brown? I'm like, no. She goes, you need to look her up. Mm -hmm. And gave me a recommendation of a book, which I think was The Power of Vulnerability. And I got it on audio book and I was on the tractor at home, you know, moving manure with the bucket of the tractor while listening to it um, on my noise cancelling headphones. And while I was on the tractor, I'm thinking, this lady has been inside my head. Mm -hmm. This lady knows me. And then half an hour later, I'm thinking, hang on, this lady knows my wife. She's been inside my wife's head too. <laughs> and so I think she covers the whole spectrum. Like if you, if you cannot listen to Brene Brown and, and mm -hmm. cause you to really think about the world, you're probably a sociopath or something, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, and there's, there's something comforting about her voice as well. Um, the very first time that I heard her, I actually showed her, it was the small clip that was made based on her Ted talk that went viral. Mm -hmm. And yep. I would, I'd, I'd find any excuse to that, to show that to any class that I had. So I think at the time I was teaching drama in like grade nine to 12 English and any opportunity that I had, I was like, Oh, it totally meets the outcomes. Every child is watching this video. Um, so that was the introduction to her voice. And then my two biggest books for her would be braving the wilderness so as I decided I was going to leave teaching, that book really resonated with me and helped me kind of, you know, forge my path. And then the last one was Dare to Lead in reflection to horsemanship. So mm -hmm. every, with every word and every statement, I was like, oh, it just clear is kind. So 
that yep. just when you think of how that relates to how we work with horses and people, it just it all works together. Yes, my wife said that one to me just the other day because my wife actually went and took the data lead course. Oh, with amazing! In, I'm uh, I'm right now. I'm in the process of. Uh, they're they're coming this way so one was in an hour away and one was set up two hours away and one had to get canceled because there wasn't enough interest so i reached out to the person who's putting it on and, and she and i are going to touch base um individually so i'm hoping to be able to get in on that too but sorry to cut you off keep on going no that's it's very cool because yeah robin came back and said it's you know it's 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 all horse training stuff mm-hmm. we share a favorite quote can you tell me how wayne dyer's words when you change the way you look at things the things you look at change have impacted your life? Can I tell you in all the ways it's impacted my life? No, because we don't have like 24 hours. <laughs> Try, let's, let's select one if we can. Um, you know what? We had a, so my wife had a, uh, bought a, a reigning horse late, not last year, the year before, a new reigning horse. And I was away when, he came here, you know, we, we tried him out and then I was in Australia, I think. And uh, he was home for a week or something or other before I got home. And when I got home, I said, so how is he? And she goes, he's a jerk. And I'm like, oh, really? And so I started, you know, he's a jerk when you're leading him, he's biting you. And when you're doing this, he's doing, you know, and when I started messing with him, yeah, he was a jerk. And so I was actually treating him a bit like a jerk. Mm-hmm. And then something clicked and I kind of started thinking, you know what? He's not trying to be a jerk. He's trying to communicate stuff. All this biting and nipping and stuff mm-hmm. is it's anxiety. And I, I started looking at him like he was anxious, not being a jerk and started addressing it that way. And, and that, that helped him out a great deal. And then last year, this time last year, my wife bought him uh, another reigning horse. She tends to collect them. <laughs> and um, he was really like really mouthy. Like you go to put the halter on him, the halter goes in his mouth, you're leading him, he's chewing the lead rope, you stand there, he's chewing on you, he's, you know, you tie him up, he's chewing the lead rope. And uh, I started, I started, instead of looking at him trying to bite me, as in him trying to bite me, I looked at it as him trying to engage with me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, horses engage with them. They don't reach out and shake hands with their front foot. They reach out with their muzzle and engage things. And so what I started doing with him was every time his nose came anywhere near me, I would take both my hands and just rub him around the muzzle and engage his muzzle for as long as he wanted to engage. And, you know, you go to, you go to saddle him. You go to put the saddle pad on. He turns around and tries to bite you. Instead of thinking of that biting as in him actually trying to bite me, I thought of it as he's checking to see if I'm present. If I mm-hmm. am, I just going to throw this saddle pad on, throw the saddle on, get on and ride him around like a motorbike, or am I in the moment with him? And so every time he said, I'd go to put the saddle pad on, his head would come around and I'd just engage his muzzle until he, he'd had enough of that. And I wasn't engaging his muzzle in such a way that it was uncomfortable. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. yeah, you want to touch me? I'll rub you until you don't like it anymore. It wasn't that. It was just softly caressing him around the muzzle. And you really got to be present to make sure you don't get bit because mm-hmm. he's trying to nip sort of thing. And I did that every time I was around him for quite a long time. And after two or three months, it all went away. And he was a completely different horse. He, you know, that's all it was. It was just, he was just trying to engage with people. And he's one of those horses I think would like to be really friendly and engage mm-hmm. with you. And he came from a big time reigning trainer's barn where it's like, stand there. I'm going to put the mm-hmm. saddle on you. Then I'm going to ride you around and you're going to do reigning stuff. And um, yeah, so the ch- when changing the way I looked, at his behavior mm-hmm. 
really made a difference. And what was funny is, so I have a, I have a, um, a TV show called The Principles of Training, and it, it's on um, Farm and Ranch TV here in America, but in the UK, it, it airs on Horse and Country TV, which is in the UK, all over Europe, uh, Australia, and New Zealand. And I just started filming the third season for that, and I was going to do an episode on what I'd done with this horse. It was all about when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And when you get filmed, like when someone puts a camera in front of you, there's a certain amount of pressure you put on yourself based on how many people are going to see what they're filming. So mm-hmm. if you're filming it for one person, there's probably someone you know, there's probably not any pressure. But if it's filming for 30 people you don't know, there's a bit of pressure. But when, when you're getting filmed for Horse and Country TV mm-hmm. that's all over the UK, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, there's a bit more pressure. And it's not really pressure. It's just pressure you make up in your own head. Oh, so. absolutely, yes. So... When we went, so he was out in the pasture and what we're going to do is I'm going to go out and I'm going to catch him and I'm going to show how he walks up to me in the pasture and how he's not mouthy anymore and I'm going to tell the whole story and I'm going to lead him over and saddle him up and show you guys exactly how good he is these days compared to what he used to be. Mm-hmm. Well, the day I filmed that, he was like a damn alligator <laughs> because I was not present. Right. I was looking at the camera, thinking about the camera, thinking I've got to get this right because this is going out to all these thousands or millions or whatever people in Europe and and he was back to square one mm-hmm. that particular day. Not in the other day, because every time I've been anywhere near him, I've been present with him. And I wasn't present that day. I was too much thinking about what I was going to say. And and the thing with like that TV show, it always messes with me because it's a half hour show. And so we have to have 22 minutes of footage with a break at 11 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about, you know, how long it takes. And I don't want to go over the 11 minutes, but I don't want to get to nine and a half minutes and then stop there because then I've got a minute and a half to fill in and, and, and all that sort right. of stuff. Anyway, we were filming that thing. He was, a, he was a complete alligator. He was back to the way he was before. He was just saying, hey, I can tell you're not present. Mm-hmm. And so these days, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. These days, if I get bit, I'm like, where was I mentally when I got bit? Right. It's That's just amazing. feedback. It's not, it's not a personal attack. It's just feedback. Yeah. It's interesting as you were talking about your wife's horse and his need to engage, um, the reining horse that I just bought had very similar behaviors. And now as you're talking, I was just reflecting on how he is now versus how he was when I got him. And he wasn't turned out with other horses in his life before coming here and was turned out maybe probably like a couple hours I don't think every day. Um, So he was in the barn a lot and had never really had interactions with other horses. Now he's turned out with my husband's gelding and they just play constantly. Um, And I've had a lot of people caution me on that and said, oh gosh, you know, like for the amount of money that you spend on a horse and especially the horse you're looking for right now, like you shouldn't have them turned out and they have so much fun. So I have a really hard time saying you guys can't be together. But I went to bridle him the other day and he did not do what he had done previously. So before you couldn't get a halter on him, you couldn't get a bridle on him. He was biting at the reins and the, the cheek pieces and anything else he could get in his mouth. And that has gone away, yeah. um, which I just didn't even think of until you were speaking. So uh, that, that need for engagement now looks like it's being met in different areas of his life. And I, th- I think if I didn't have, have this conversation, I might've thought maybe he's less happy about the way things are going because his life has changed dramatically, but no, I think he's pretty, he's, I think yeah. he's more happy. You know, last year at the world of question games, the two, the horse that 
Robin and I, the two horses that Robin and I took were the, both, were the only horses there with bite marks on them. Mm. They, li- they live in a pasture together. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely on, seeing uh, a lot of um, a lot of marks. <laughs> yeah, and there, there wasn't a whole lot of bite marks, but you know, mm-hmm. they, they, um, yeah, they live in a pasture together, and, yeah. and um, you know, like I said, with their sliders on the whole bit, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's been interesting the transition with all the different opinions. Um, but that was one thing that I just felt was it wasn't something that would be easily changed within our routine anyway, but I did think it was important for him to be able to be a horse. Um, and now that I have that perspective, it kind of helps me know that I'm making a little bit of the, or I'm on the right path any, anyway with them. So that's very helpful. Thank you. On the right path for you. Right. Yeah. That's, that's very important. The trouble I have with talking about this sort of stuff is I don't want to say somebody who's doing, mm-hmm. it differently is doing it wrong. Right. You know, that's, that's either the, you know, for a long time I was a reining horse trainer and I had horses and they lived in stalls, mm-hmm. you know, all day we turned them out as much as possible. We had some turnout there, but they didn't live in a herd together. But you, when you're training other people's horses, you can't yes. go, okay, I'm going to take your $50,000 horse and turn it out with this $50,000 horse. Hope no one dies. <laughs> right. Right. Um, Let's just see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Whereas yeah, when absolutely. You're your own horses, you go, okay, I'm, I'm prepared to take the risk because I think the benefits outweigh the right. The risks, downsides, mm-hmm. but you really can't do that when they're other people's horses. No. So I, I don't, you know, I just when I talk about this stuff, I just want to make sure people don't think that I'm saying somebody else is doing it wrong. Oh, absolutely. Yes, I agree 100%. Okay, so something else that we can agree on is that, and you had sent this quote to me if you're depressed, you're living in the past. If you're anxious, you're living in the future. And if you're at peace, you're living in the present. So you said to me that working with horses has taught you many lessons, but your greatest of all is how to be present. Can you give me one, or can you give the, the listeners one piece of advice that's going to help them become more present in their daily lives? And then just let them know how you see that helping them with their interactions with their horses in the future. Uh, well, if you want to work on something in your daily life, being more present, um, you, there's a number of things you can do. Something I recommend everybody does is take up some sort of a meditation practice. And, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, if the word meditation gives you the heebie jeebies, <laughs> uh, something they're doing in a lot of big companies now, is it calling it mindfulness based stress reduction Oh, lovely! to take away from the stigma about, Oh, well, if you're, you know, you've got to be some sort of a hippie, if you're going to meditate, right. um, there's a really good book that I have listened to called Stealing Fire by Stealing. a fellow named Stephen Kotler. And he wrote a book called The Rise of Superman, which is about, um, his previous book was called The Rise of Superman, which is about like all the extreme athletes, like you said, the, the X Games and stuff like that, and how people these days are being able to do stuff that they physically weren't, people physically weren't able to do before. Mm-hmm. And it's about being in that, in the zone, like in the flow. It's about being in flow. But this, um, book called stealing fire the subtitle of it is how silicon valley navy seals and rogue entrepreneurs are changing the way we live and work and there's quite a bit about meditation in there navy seals these days meditate Mm -hmm. and they talk in there about seal team six that took down i don't think it was bin laden but it was something like that and they had to go in under the cover of darkness so there's no communications it's completely black whatever and they wanted to make sure no one got hurt. 
And they say when, the, when, a, when a SEAL team goes into, say, a building, the first guy, like a zipper, the first guy's looking to the right, the second guy's looking to the left, the third guy's looking to the right, the fourth guy's looking to the left. And at any point in time, if anyone sees something where they need to go off in that direction, they just go and the rest of the team members sense it. Mm. And they just follow in. There is no, hey, we're going this way. There's no commands. There's no signals. You just go and everybody else feels it. Mm-hmm. And um, part of that collective feeling is obtained through uh, meditation. So anyway, I, I, yeah. So what I'm saying here is my, Navy SEALs do it too. So it's not some. So it's so that, cool. That's <laughs> a, a weirdo thing. But if, you, if that's even too weird for you, something that's really, really good is to have a little daily mindfulness practice to where, so what is mindfulness? Mindfulness is when you're doing something, you are thinking only about that particular thing. Mm-hmm. You're not doing something and thinking about something else. You're not doing something and thinking about two seconds ahead or two seconds behind. Think about when you're in the shower washing your hair, you are not thinking about your hair. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You're washing your hair and I'm going to get out of the shower, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go this. Mm-hmm. And so, having some sort of a mindfulness practices and you can make them up if you want to. Um, one good one, if someone works in an office or, you know, whatever is a door practice. So every time you come to a door, slow down, put your hand on the doorknob and feel, is this knob cold or hot? Hmm. When I turn the knob, does it turn smoothly or does it grate a little bit? Is it silent or does it make noise? When I open the door, are the hinges smooth or are they kind of creaky? When I step into the new space, whether it's stepping into a car or stepping into another room or whatever, does this room have a different smell? Mm-hmm. Does this room have a different temperature? Does this room have a different sound level? And then close the door and be on your way. Mm-hmm. And if you do it every time you go through a door, it's just a little thing you can do maybe 10 or 12 times a day that takes you 30 seconds. But for a minute, you just, all that thinking in your head just slows down. Mm-hmm. Um, that's... That's one you can do. I mean, there's a million of them. Um, yeah. One I do at horse, like at horse expos and clinics, I am on all day and I've always got someone in my ear, blah, 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 blah. So what I do at, at uh, especially horse expos, is when I go to the bathroom, okay, when I wash my hands, I slow down, I, I put soap on my hands and I rub my hands and I look at my hands and I make sure I get soap all over both hands, Okay entirely cover the, the entirely of both hands with soap and then i rinse it until there's no soap left and then i shake my hands 11 times and i'll tell you why in a second <laughs> i shake my hands 11 times and then i get one piece of paper towel and i carefully scrutinize my hands and i wipe every single little bit of moisture off my hands using only one paper towel and the reason i shake my hands 11 times because if you shake it less than 11 times you will not be able to get your hands completely dry with one paper towel oh wow um, but to know it's just like two minutes to where you are just perfectly right. present you're not thinking about stuff in the past or in the future and then i just go out the door and i go back out in the crowd of people and they're all blah right. in your ears again but but it really just- comes down to creating that habit where if you can find those little bits throughout the day, then all of a sudden it becomes the norm to be able to find those, those moments more often um, or to be able to accept being in those moments. I find a lot of people tell me they can't, um, they can't I turn their brains off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I so, never used to be able to. Yeah. So I mean, the thing is, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Cause mm-hmm. I've got, 
as much a worse monkey mind as anybody. So, you know, if I can, if I can do it, anybody can do it. You know, when I first started working on the meditation, I'd do like a three minute meditation every day. And that was like, you know, that was like trying to get a horse with separation anxiety to stand still away. Right. Thing, you know what I mean? My mind was all over the place. Yeah. So that's uh, that's great advice. Thank you very much. And I'm going to ask you this one last question. And when I read your answer in the first in my questionnaire, I was quite intrigued. I'm curious to know what's been your biggest challenge. So you kind of gave me a hint that you're currently in it. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I have to I have to remember what it was I was thinking about when I said that. I can't mean it. I think it's just this whole. Uh, mindfulness practice, this mm-hmm. whole being present. You know, it's it's something, it's something you've. I've got to work on every day um, mm-hmm. and be aware of it every day. You know, because I've been, you know, I've I've been in my head for so long that it's still my default setting to just go in my head. You know, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have, you know, I don't really have periods of anxiety, which is thinking about the future. I think I'm more, and it's not so much thinking about the past, but it's just not being present. Right. You know, like you're in your head, just being in your head. So that's something I struggle with quite a bit. The horses are really, really good help with that. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I do clinics, I walk in the arena at eight o'clock in the morning and I don't leave till six o'clock at night, except to go to the bathroom. I don't stop. I don't eat lunch. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say, how the hell do you do that? You must be like Superman. You're like, you can go in there and you just go all day long. And for a while, I didn't really know the answer. But now I know the answer is I'm in the flow state. Absolutely. When I'm, when I'm in that arena in front of a crowd of people, um, because I'm past the, I'm past the um, point of being anxious in front of a crowd of people. Mm-hmm. So I'm not thinking about that sort of thing, but when I'm in front of a crowd of people and especially because I'm explaining what I'm doing in real time, mm-hmm. I don't have time to think ahead and I can't think behind. I can't think about what I did two seconds ago and I can't think about what I'm going to do in 10 seconds. I'm just reading the horse and explaining things to people in the crowd in real time. And I think, so I don't get hot. I don't get cold. I don't get thirsty. I don't get tired. I don't get hungry. I don't get, I don't feel jet lag. And so it's not, people think I'm really pushing myself when I'm out there for 10 hours a day talking, but I'm not, I'm not pushing at all. It's, it's effortless. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, one of the reasons I can do a lot of clinics is because that's my, that's my mindfulness practice right there. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially working with horses, you know, I've been doing it for so long now, I don't necessarily have to be completely present to get the job done. Right. And if I was doing clinics and just working with the horses and not saying anything and not, not explaining what I was doing in real time to the people watching, I probably wouldn't it wouldn't cause me to be terribly present. But when I'm explaining what I'm doing in real time, I can't be thinking what I'm going to say in 10 seconds time. And I can't be thinking about what I said 10, 10 seconds ago. So, um, you know, recently when I was in Morocco, when I was doing work there for the, like I said before, the Royal Society for the Appreciation of Horses, they have all these stallions. And so I spent two days in a round pen with a crowd of people. And I worked with stallions in this round pen for all day, for two days. And, some of them had some issues to where they're pushy or they want to bite, they want to strike, that sort of thing. And so it was even more, it was like, and everything worked so well. It was like I knew what I was doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the horses. It's are like you've done it before. <laughs> um, it was like magic in the forest. Mm-hmm. And so funny enough in Morocco right now, they think I'm some sort of a magical horse. Or something. <laughs> but it just, it was one of those situations to where I had to be very, very present 
because these ones might eat your lunch sort of thing. And, um, and it was really cool. I had an interpreter. And so this guy, he's, uh, he's been like an interpreter at the UN and things like that. He's a professional interpreter. So you can talk to him in English and he can repeat it back in Arabic and you can just keep talking. Arabic or French was what he's translating into. But um, you don't have to talk and then wait for him to catch up and then go again. He can just have your voice come in one ear and he can spit it out in another language. So it was, that was pretty cool. But uh, yeah, that whole two days in the round pen there, I was just by necessity, I had to be really even more present than I normally am. And it was, yeah, it was, a, it was almost a spiritual mm-hmm. thing. Those, that, so all the horses I worked with were barb stallions and I've never been looked at by a horse before like I've been looked at by those horses. Mm. Um, they're like, will look when they when you connect with them when they connect with you they will like look into your soul it was pretty cool and across the road from where i was working was a mosque that has the big tall minaret and five times a day they would have the call to prayer come out of the speaker at the top of that mosque so it was it was yeah it was a pretty woo-woo sort of a feeling for two days there it was very cool that's that sounds like it would be one of those moments where you're like i'm not quite sure if this is real right now um but it was damn near spiritual, I tell you. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I can see how that would be. That's amazing. Well, Warwick, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough for speaking with me today. Um, I've truly enjoyed our conversation, and I know my listeners will as well. Good luck in all that you do in the future, and thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience with us. You're truly making our world a better place for both humans and horses. Please take some time, and if you don't know Warwick online, check him out. Check out his website and social media pages. Warwick Schiller Performance Horsemanship offers a wealth of knowledge to our horse community with his vast online video library, which offers 700 full-length real-time training videos. They're fantastic because they're what you're pretty much watching him train his horses with no edits and no ads. He has also has footage from clinics, expos, and virtual lessons, and has also some videos with other people, with he, which he says is very popular. Warwick, you have one of the most extensive online training collections, and I know after this conversation, my listeners will be eager to know all the ways that they can access you and your wealth of knowledge. Can you please share with us one more time the best ways for everyone to see what you have to offer? Um, well, the easiest way for, for people is to just go on YouTube. I've got 300 and something videos on YouTube. And especially if you watch the most recent 10 or 15, that's more about where I'm going these days. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, changed, uh, I've changed more from... Uh, being a skills-based horse trainer in the past, you know, my job is to teach this horse to do a certain thing more into relationship-based, but I have left all the other stuff up there because I'm not ashamed to say that's where I was in the past. And if somebody's at that point, that's perfectly fine. I'm not, mm-hmm. There's no judgment. Um, but yeah, some of the, like the stuff we talked about today, there's probably the last 10, 15, 20 videos on YouTube will kind of give you a fair idea of that. Perfect. Thank you very much. Did I see something that you have a new app? Is that uh, yes. real? Yes. <laughs> I have a feeling that I, I saw an app. We had an app before and the app was basically just, you know, like a, a, a like a step-by-step thing to tell you what we probably should be working on next. Mm-hmm. But no, uh, a lot of people, I don't know if it's like in Canada, but in rural Canada, but in Australia and New Zealand, where I have a lot of uh, followers, they have pretty dodgy internet. And so what we did, we came up with an app that you have the app on your phone and you can download videos to the app. So it's kind of like Netflix, you know, right. as long, or, or Audible or any of those things. 
um, or Spotify. Uh, you can actually download the, the, the videos to your phone when you have service. So then you're going to be out in the, the round pen or out in the arena or, you know, I know some people in Australia that drive into town, park outside the library and download stuff and then go home because I don't have good enough internet at home for the videos to play or to download. And so that's what the new app is. It's we spent quite a bit of time. Not, I shouldn't say we, my wife and son and our app guy, I don't know anything about that stuff. Um, spent quite a bit of time working on it to where now people can actually download the videos and, and uh, through the app. Perfect. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate speaking with you today and I, uh, I wish you luck in everything that you do. Yeah. Thank you so much. Same thing, same to you. You sound like you're uh, got some exciting stuff coming up too. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with me. I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did, please leave a review and share it with your friends. To learn more about me and what else I have on the go, skip on over to NikkiPorter.ca. Thanks again for listening, and we'll connect again next week. Until then, remember, you have the power to take the reins and live the life you've always wanted. You just have to step into the arena with an open heart and an open mind.